Hi, welcome to Stardust Records, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Savi, and I'm here with my other host, Linz. And this week, we'll be discussing the Andor finale. Andor episode 12, Rick's Road, the last episode of the season for two more years. We've entered the Andor waiting room once more. How are we feeling about that, Linz? Uh, wow, man. It was like such a good finale. But I am so sad that we're having to wait two more years for the next part. Because <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. It left me needing more right it away. It was so good. Oh, we have to wait. We have to wait. I know. <laughs> it was It was one of those endings where it was like a good closing note. But it was also like, a, okay, where is the nearest time machine? So I can fast forward two years of my life. And and then more than that. So the whole series, the whole season can be out. But before we get into that. This week, Savi did get to join Kessel Run Relay for uh, a review episode of Andor Episode 12 as well, because I had, I can't believe I just spoke about myself in third person, but um, I did get to go back on because I went on before the series, before we had this podcast and we said all of our Andor predictions, that episode does come out this week, so make sure to check that out, it was really fun reuniting with Hayden, Liv, and M, And I'm sure that we'll have a crossover episode soon. We have so many fun guests planned for the next few few weeks. So, yeah. Has anything happened for you this week? Anything notable? Ah, uh, you know, I... Or before... <laughs> be- before we were recording, actually, we were listing off all of our Star Wars hauls because apparently <laughs> Linz and I had like <laughs> had the spending virus or bug this weekend so we were like it was like 45 minutes to an hour of just like talking about what we got we didn't get that much where it took up an hour but it it was like what we, I showed yeah. you in and what so what tell us what you got let's okay okay so I got, uh, I think it was the exclusive look at, it was like a book about, like, exclusive look at Rogue One, and, or the, the collector edition. It was really, it's a really obscure book. Um, and then I also got uh, Guardians of the Wills. Nice. And I got On the Front Line, uh, which I discovered off the dust jacket it has some gorgeous artwork of pathfinders on the back and i think death troopers on the front or stormtroopers and then i got the um replica helmet collection issue 62 the scarif magazine it basically uh it's melshi's helmet and it comes with a magazine about yes and it comes with (laughs) a magazine of his face on it and then i got oh i got the rebels ahsoka funko I finally got it. I, I got it before, but I couldn't take it out of the box because it's my partner's. So now I have one for myself that I can take out. And I got a Rogue One Blue Squadron lanyard that has a little uh, pendant on it as well. And then I also got, this is my favorite thing, I got the, I figured out the model or the type of goggles that the Pathfinders wear. So like she had one. Jin wore one, Bodhi wore one, and so I figured out like the exact model, and it's a vintage 
they're vintage ski goggles so I found one on eBay and I got a pair because I was like I need to do a cosplay of some sort in the future and this will be perfect so I got those act goggles and I'm excited to use them well it's so it's so sick to know that the goggles because you had mentioned it and it just made me think of how much of a homage that was the original trilogy just using what they had access to and then with Andor too Martin Douse used things that were accessible like smartphones so it was so cool I didn't know there were ski glasses yeah yeah I love that it's awesome (laughs) just to transition into the episode (laughs) we we should talk about episode 12 now that we've let everybody know what what type of spenders we are (laughs) so we can jump right into episode 12 um we can start from the beginning and kind of just work our way to the end because it was just all on barracks besides the scene with mon obviously but we could start with mon because it is the shortest yeah i think maybe we can do that yeah we can get her out of the way (laughs) <laughs> you knew okay, what I was going to say. Out of the way. <laughs> I want to hear well, your thoughts because you're like the number one Mon Mothma stan. At least I'm- I know. I feel yeah. I feel like I haven't spoken about her as much as I expected to um, while watching Andor, but I think that's not a negative thing. It's just that I just haven't spoken about her too much. And I think I was waiting to see how it all ended up by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so unfortunately, it seems that she went through with the meeting <clears throat> with Dabo and um, their daughter, her and parents' daughter, Lita, is going to perhaps be married off to this boy. Little squirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, both Mon and Perrin don't seem too thrilled about the situation. Yeah. Um, obviously it's what Lita probably wanted and was excited about because we can we know it was shown in the last episode that she is um very much into the culture or into the Chandrillan traditional um way of doing things. And so she seemed fine with it, <laughs> but her parents didn't. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting to show that even Perrin didn't t- look too excited or too happy or fine with it. That was really interesting to see because the whole beginning, you know, in episode four, we meet Perrin. We kind of expect him to be like against everything Mon believes in. So it it was cool. Um, I guess not cool. So it's interesting to see like that he is on the same page as Mon. And I was going to also, we I totally forgot that we got her basically uh, using him yeah with his with his which i thought was very clever yeah but basically she was on a night out with she was yeah a night out with perrin and perrin came and met her in the car and she started accusing him of bad habits gambling and everything and uh she used that to basically make an excuse for all the money that was missing from their accounts so she knew that the driver was isb and the isb driver was listening and so that he would report it to the headquarters uh to his superiors that um perrin was gambling a lot and that had been something he did in the past and so that basically got the heat off her about the missing money and i i struggle i'm not i'm not struggling with that scene but it was definitely mon 
was willing to go that far and do that and basically accuse her husband of something he didn't do to cover her ass, which I don't, I'm not saying like she shouldn't have done that or anything like that. I just think it's interesting to see her becoming the woman that would, would do that to protect their interests. I, and adding on to that, I know this might be a little bit controversial to some people because I know some people have really strong opinions about Perrin, but in retrospect, if like I watched the series over again with all the scenes with him and dissected all the scenes with him, I don't think that I would have, I don't really have much of a negative feeling towards him because all in all, in the end, he didn't really do anything majorly upsetting. Um, He's not that great of a husband, but he didn't really do anything wrong. And he definitely didn't seem to be working actively against her. So I think people were reacting episode by episode to him and what they could see of him and making assumptions. But in the end, I don't think he was really the guy that people thought he was. Interesting that you say that. And I agree. Him and Mon's marriage, and I'm not a marriage expert, but him and Mon's marriage being the way that it is makes a lot of sense. Neither of them wanted to get married. They were really young, really immature. It sounds like they came from Shangela to Coruscant and immediately jumped in the world of senatorial work. And we don't know what Perrin does. How I was seeing it is that Mon is making enough and they have enough family fortune where they're getting by, where she's the only one that has to work. Yeah. So I guess while I don't like him and I don't appreciate the way he treats Mon, I I suppose I see where he's coming from. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't think he's a threat at all. <laughs> I think honestly. that he's just a, I honestly think she's just married to a loser. <laughs> yeah, like I just think that he's he's not he's definitely not uh, helping her. No. Um Yeah. So I I just that's how I think about Perrin. Perrin's just eh, you know, he's there. He's not that great. But that's I also exactly don't think what that, he is. Just but <laughs> I don't think he hates Mon though. I don't feel like he he has like ill will towards her. Um I think that he's I think that he's upset about his own issues or he's dealing with his own problems. Not there's no excuse for anything, but then also so is Mon. And then we can see how that's affected Lita to the point where she is who she is. So it's just it's all very realistic, honestly. And yeah. and it's what, you know, this is what Tony was going for. Like this is the type of conversation that he wants to us to be having. Um, and so we're having it. <laughs> it. It's it's very interesting how like this type of character, like Perrin, it's practically the same conversation people have been having about Dedra and Cyril. We're kind of meant to be put in their shoes, but we're not, we're not supposed to like them. I think no. that you can find a character interesting, but you're not supposed to root for Perrin or root for Dedra or Cyril or anything. I feel like Cyril is a different story than Dedra and Perrin, though. Mm-hmm. I won't get too yes. much, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I Going back to when she framed Perrin, it's interesting how she's making these decisions about her family that she knows that she doesn't want to make, but she's entering into the mindset of the Mon in the original trilogy, where she knows that she has to make these difficult decisions 
Uh, I don't know. It's so hard to put into words my thoughts around it. But we see Mon in that one scene with Devo and how she's, I'm not thinking about it. And then he says, that's the first lie that you've told this whole time. And then it's showing Mon shaking and angry. I I think that she really was thinking about it. Because otherwise she wouldn't have come to the decision. And then the whole conversation with Vel wouldn't have happened. And... Yeah. I know that's episode 11, but it had a big significant impact on episode 12, Mon, so. No, I agree. I, I think that you're right on with that. Um, It's showing that she's going to be this leader that has to make these decisions. And she's starting off having to make personal decisions. These are, I mean, these are obviously for the rebellion, but they're also deeply personal to her. So think yeah. by the time we get her as the chancellor or you know the leader of the rebellion um she's gonna have all this experience having to self-sacrifice basically her you know her comfort and her personal desires over the greater good so it's cool that we got to see that even though it was upsetting for her Mm -hmm. um i hope that i hope that you know, if Lita and that boy end up together, that he's not a total asshole. Um, yeah, maybe maybe Lita ends up moving back to Chandrilla and being happy with this guy. Maybe Mon's fears are subdued because this kid actually ends up being a really good kid. And I don't know. And it seems like Lita is so interested in Chandrilla's ways that she's entirely okay with the situation. So Yeah. I mean, she almost didn't seem like she was even happy on, I'm not saying that this is a good situation for her, but the way she was acting the entire time, she seems sort of uncomfortable to be at the parties and everything. And and this is not to say that the Chandrillan way is actually good, but yeah, it's good if, to Lita. If Mon feels that Lita's in a better place, you know. And then, I mean, if she goes back to Chantrilla, then she'd sort of be out of the way and Mon could make other decisions. But, oh, it's so hard because, like, having a family. Because before Andor came out, I wasn't sure if Mon was going to have a family. Yeah, I thought um, she'd be alone. I mean, we got, yeah, we got some interviews towards the premiere that told us, okay, yeah, she's her husband's going to be in it. But I don't even think that we really knew about Lita until the show was already started. So um, before I was like, well, she has nothing to lose, really. She's just her own woman, you know, but now it's like she's got Lita and Perrin and it's if she gets, you know, accused of stuff, especially when she defects, like, where's Perrin and Lita? And like, would the Empire come down on them? Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it either. And it it worries me. (laughs) It does worry me (laughs) because, you know, in Rebels, like she's alone. She's she's come and in like rogue one and stuff she's she's completely alone yeah. so uh, i like it it would be nice to know that like perrin and lita were safe but out of mon's life i think not that i want her you know want her to be alone or that i want her daughter to be away from her i just think that like mon is in a better mindset knowing that her family is safe yeah that'd be good because there's yeah. a lot of unanswered questions then like where are they later in the series or in the yeah. franchise and stuff so yeah uh, 
Well, what's interesting is that, like, Tony, spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't seen the finale, but uh, Tony didn't kill anyone. I thought there would be a high death count, like he said, but, and a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people suspected that Perrin might die or Lita might die. But it's just interesting to know that this isn't just like a, I will be so jealous of the people who are going to get into Star Wars after all of Andor is out. So jealous because they are just going to be able to watch everything like how it's going to be meant to be watched, which is just like one big, long, like 20 hour movie. <laughs> yeah. So, and they won't have to be concerned about what happens. Well, I mean, I guess they will as they watch it, but yeah, not we're as... having to wait so long to know what happens to these people. I know. Ugh. And we already lost, we already lost Cassie and Anor once. I can't believe we have to do it again. <laughs> oh, it hurts so bad. I know. At least this one wasn't permanent. Yeah. When 2016, okay. we were like, okay, we're never going to see Cassian again. And then Diego Luna was like, surprise, bitch. I bet you thought you seen the last of me. <laughs> but if you have any more thoughts on Mon. I, I don't think I do. I just hope that, because it's going to be like a year time skip. So I'm interested to see what, where it will pick up with her in season me two. too. I, I, where will she be? And where will <laughs> we be in the timeline? And. I'm really excited because I really like Genevieve as Mon and, and I'm so excited that she could play her again. I I do wonder then with her if it will be, and I guess with all the characters for season two, I wonder if it will be a similar structure as, as structure as season one where it follows our different characters. Because I know that most of the characters, pretty much all the characters from season one that they followed are going to be in season two so I wonder if it's going to be the same format where it's like we'll get to see Mon okay now we're going to see Luthan and Clea now we're going to see you know if it'll do the same thing because if that's the case and there's year time skips between the arcs um you know we'll get Mon still in the senate at first and then near the end we're going to get her probably in the middle I think it is yeah. Uh, she's going to be leaving the Senate. So I wonder if we're going to see the moment she decides to leave. I feel like they're going to show that. Like if we're it's following true. Mon and the rebellion, we're going to see the moment that she's like, I got to get out of here. And I got to, and, and she makes her speech and stuff. I wonder if they'll adapt her speech. Um, like the hologram? Rally. Uh, yeah. Cause we're, well, I'm not sure. Cause didn't she give one? Well, maybe I'm remembering wrong. Cause I know she gave one that rallied the alliance but i thought she i thought she said maybe she didn't do another one before that maybe not that but hopefully in, just something with her leaving that was in rebels right the yes okay i couldn't remember she escaped with a couple of her guards or her yeah erskine or whatever his name is <laughs> um yeah so it'd be cool to see that moment because i feel like it's working to that me so too. for Mon, yes. And it's interesting to know that it'll still be all the gray areas, the in-between, rather than the what we've already seen of the Rebellion, essentially. So I am yes. excited for that. Speaking of the Rebellion, we can move on to, to Ferrix. When the first shot of on Ferrix with Willman, what did you, did you assume that he was making a bomb when he, when it, um, yes, but only because of the trailer. Oh, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it, w- it was like how some people knew that Cassian was going to kill Skeen because of the trailer scene. I, I, oh. I w- it was that for me. I was like, yeah. oh, he's, he's making a bomb. But I absolutely thought that scene 
was so poignant and then later in the scene we literally later in the show in the episode we got the exact same scene essentially but with Clem and Cassian in the flashback but yeah I definitely feel like Wilman is a younger version of Cassian and that Cassian is now going to be like a direct inspiration to Wilman yeah I I think that that's what I don't know but I I I have a lot of thoughts on Wilman and like the whole stuff with his dad and I hope if anyone becomes a rebel in the group that got off of Ferrex, I hope that it's Wilman. Like I I he deserves peace, but I also think that he like Thrawn said to Callus, he's got a the heart of a rebel. Yeah. I see it because just in the way that he was later on in the episode the way that he was looking up at marva yeah and, you know, and, eyes. and brasso was looking over at him and like like he knew what was gonna what he had to do what he yeah. was going to do and then he's like in shock by the end of the episode we see him in the in the ship and he's watching cassian bring bix into the ship and i have thoughts about that specific moment um where i just wonder what wilman was thinking like, because I'm sure Wilman thought, I mean, I don't know if Wilman had been hearing the same thing that the others had been hearing, that Bix was still alive. But, like, you know, Bix was brought in after his dad, and his dad's dead, yeah. and Bix is alive. And I don't I don't want to speculate like this, because I feel like the people of Ferrix and, and Wilman and Brasso and all of them don't think like this. But the fact that Bix using the transmitter is one reason why. Oh um, yes, it's Hawk got brought in. It's the exact reason. <laughs> yeah, and but so and then sad. Bix survived, but his dad didn't. I don't want to say that, that Wilman's gonna have bad feelings towards Bix or anything. Yeah, but I just I'm sure that it's something that has crossed his mind that like this is something that happened and it's upsetting to him to know that his dad died. You know um because of it which is just so upsetting and i i i almost wonder if bix even knows what happened like so to pack yeah pack yeah i it's just so much to think about there and i feel so sad to even talking about that but i am like you said i i do think that if any of them become part of the rebellion it would be wilman and i'm i'm hoping to see that but in like a positive way mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah like as if he's directing that energy in, in a positive way um a pilot or i mean he is really good with like mechanic work or machinery yeah. so i mean he could he could be a demolitions expert or something <laughs> that'd be sick and it'd be cool if he met melshi and cassian was his mentor oh, figure um imagine wilman leaves the group the Ferrix five to go to the rebellion and then Cassian runs into him in the rebellion and they have like a little reunion I think that if woman does join it'll be nice to know that Cassian will have not one but two people so like Melchi and Wilman and especially because both of those people are from moments in his past life so they're like subtle reminders of where he came from and like how he grew up Yeah. yeah for sure 
I do think that he's going to have people around him and it, you know, we're going to see at what level that is and how, where his mind is, because we know he's pretty worn down by Rogue One. You know, he's done a lot. He's seen a lot. He's been through a lot in the rebellion, but I do think that you can't just be like, because Cassian said, you know, I've been in this fight since I was six years old, you know, I've lost everything. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have things right now. You know, he's got Melshi, he has K2 at that point. And like, you know, we don't know if woman's in the rebellion or if there's other people around him in the rebellion that he um, cares about or care about him. So if you take, if you take the, the final scene in Andor as a final goodbye, I think that that's, I think that that's how we're supposed to feel. Like, because Cassian was like, I'll meet up with you guys again. Like, I'll find you. But then he goes to Luthen to, to die. And I think that Cassian in his mind was treating it as a final goodbye. But then I think that endpoint with Luthen is to prove that it wasn't a final goodbye because Luthen decides, obviously, decides not to kill him. Yes. So it's sad. It's upsetting. There are possibilities that he's not going to see them again, that he will become too busy with the rebellion, that he'll decide that it's safer to not see them. But I think saying that like Brasso and Jezzy and Bix especially, I get a little, I get a little lens notes. I get passionate. There we go. That's the word. When people say Bix are going to die because it's, we went through the same thing with Reva. Where we yeah. were like, Reva is going to die, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Trilla started it. <laughs> Trilla dying in JFO started this. And it's a horrible domino effect that I just want to end already. And everyone suspected Reva to die. And she didn't. And everyone is saying that Bix is going to die. But Bix doesn't have to die for Cassian's words in Rogue One to hold weight. Yeah hard disagree if you think that and it's okay i respect that opinion but i i think that saying bix or wilman or jet brasso or jesse is going to die is just like i don't know what do you think (laughs) i i think i feel the same way i i just i don't feel like they would save these characters from um from season one over to season two just to um kill them off eventually i think that like you were saying cassian has already lost everything like twice now and we can say that he basically lost ferrix and everyone on ferrix even though they survived we can say he lost them too because he did go to luthan basically with the thought in mind that he might die there so he i feel like he is a man that has i think in his mind he's it's over like it's done with and his life is basically just going to be fought for like the rebellion for peace for freedom because everything else that he's tried to do with his life has not worked out and everything every time he has anything he loses it and so i think that he thinks well if i'm going to if i'm going to even breathe air i might as well be doing it to honor you know my convictions or his convictions to honor his convictions that you know things need to change but also honor marva's words as well um you know to fight the empire so i think 
I think in his mind, he's already lost everything. And so I think that that doesn't mean that those characters have to die in season two. I think that Tony will do stuff with them and we're going to see, I'm excited to see what that is. Um, and I also, yeah. And also we know that Tony told, I was, for, I can never say her first name correctly. Adria. 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 I can't roll it. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I, I feel so bad that I can't say it. I need to don't, practice it. Don't feel um, bad. It's the, but... thought, it's the thought that counts. I'm sure <laughs> she would appreciate the attempt. <laughs> um, but so Tony told her all about Bix's journey into season two. So up front. And so I think that he might have done that to assure her that her character was had a place and was going somewhere. Because hearing what her story was in season one might be discouraging so i'm pretty sure he probably told her that so that she would have some like like okay yeah bix is gonna be good or this is how bix's journey is gonna be so that she'd be confident about where her character is gonna end up and then there was rumors that she was going to be maybe used in other star wars media Mm -hmm. so we don't know if we're gonna get her beyond season two i just i don't think people's first like thought should be that she's gonna fix is gonna die (laughs) yeah i i i get the fear like i was fearful i I think that anyone in their right mind when they see like a character like that like when they when we saw reva with darth vader like Mm -hmm. i'm sure we were terrified she was going to die and she did she didn't i almost said she did um i you know i was scared for bix i think that we were all really scared for bix but i think that her story's not done I think that it would be really sad. And while it is a possibility she will die, I I I think it's a possibility for every, anybody in any TV show to die. But I just wish people wouldn't I think jump to that. It's just upsetting because it's I'm only hearing it about Bix. Yeah, no one's going oh Brasso's definitely dying next season. You know. Yeah. I I I was nervous for Brasso and people were also Word for Brasso, but I, I have not. It, I don't know. I've seen it with Reva, and I'm seeing it with Bix again, and it's like I hate when history repeats itself. I I just hope that whatever her journey is, or however it goes, that she gets healing, that she comes like she gathers her strength, and we see her as we did at the beginning of the season. Um, and that we see her basically come into her own again because right now she's so broken and I don't want to see her like that continuously you know so I think that with the year time jump and then uh, the other time jumps beyond that I hope that she we see her through those um, in some capacity and like I said I don't know what that will be but I hope that we I hope that she's there and whatever her fate is if i don't like to say this or think about this but if she did die i would hope that it would be in some sort of way where it didn't feel like it was just for man pain you know what i mean yeah i don't want it to be something that but it always feels like that you know i i don't like it when female characters get fridged um like tala tala is the perfect example tala trilla you could even argue Ventress dying. Um, oh, yeah. You totally because, could. Because she was originally supposed to die in 
like the Clone Wars episodes. She dies in the book, but they were originally supposed to be episodes. So she was going to die on screen. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so Ventress, Tala, Trilla, um, it would just, I just hate it when those characters are obviously killed off for basically man pain. Yeah. Um, and people can disagree and that's fine. Like you, you like people don't have to agree with everything that we say, but I just think that it should be a topic that's spoken about more. And mm -hmm. I, we're supposed to be talking about episode 12, but I think that this is a really important topic that people yeah. are kind of afraid to touch on. And I think that people should be less afraid to touch on it because not all women like have to die at the expense of like the man's story. I yeah. think it's it's practically getting it's getting really tiring and it's it's disappointing that male writers feel they need to go that way because yeah. I don't know because JFO male writers uh Kenobi male writers, I know female director but male yeah. writers. Yeah. And and originally it was male, I'm pretty sure it was male writers who wrote Ventress's death. I yeah. think it was a female or girl that wrote uh, uh, Dark Disciple, I believe. But, I mean, they were just going off of what they, they were told mm -hmm. the storyline was. So, yeah, I just, I think when people talk about Bix dying specifically, it makes me go, oh, I don't want to go through that again. Like, I just don't want to see that. And that's really what it. no and i think i think tony proved to us that that doesn't have to be that way yeah. um and i think he knows the ultimate loss and cost that this whole thing is going to be culminating to in rogue one i'm sure that's very prevalent in his mind so i think he probably knows that he doesn't need to um rogue one everyone <laughs> because yeah. that's where it's going to end up and so because I think that Rogue One's sacrifice will be um, all the more impactful by the time Andor is done. And so, because they keep saying and stressing over and over again, like what journey brought Cassie to the point where he would willingly sacrifice his life like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think that there needs to be any more gratuitous death to get him to that point because yeah. he's already on his way and so yeah I know we keep stressing this over and over again but <laughs> but yeah I really do think that we don't need to be we're, maybe we're going to eat our words in two years I hope not I've, I have I have faith in Tony that he's going to do a good job um, in Tony we trust in Tony we trust um, yeah wait so let's actually get into it <laughs> um so cassian arrives back on ferrix and he's I, I he was like sneaking around and i know some people i saw pe some people's comics uh comments like live reacting as the episode um was airing and i saw some people being like cassian you're not doing very good at sneaking around get your ass inside <laughs> what are you doing here um but yeah so we see cassian sneaking around for a reason obviously he goes to see his father's funerary stone clem's funerary stone and we get a flashback with um him and clem and i love how they did the flashbacks where 
we're really seeing we're seeing Clem through Cassian's eyes. Yes, and like it's oh, see, it's always Cassian's point of view. And we yeah. can't see Cassian's face. We only see like the back of his curly hair, you know, head. <laughs> um I love that because it sets it apart from the flashbacks at the beginning of the series. Um, it makes it more personal because we know that Cassian was remembering Canari like in those flashbacks at the beginning, but to see how personal they were to him, I don't know. It just makes it feel a little bit more, I don't know how, what the word for it is, but I feel like memories of Clem for Cassian are particularly meaningful to him obviously but um and I, I feel like also I mean I'm not even sure if this was the intention but with the Canary flashbacks they're farther in Cassian's mind they're like echoes in his mind so we get to see what happened on Canary we get to see where he came from but with Clem it's fresher in Cassian's mind and that's why perhaps we see it more in a from a personal point of view um but yeah so clem says a man who sees everything is more blessed than cursed which has so many implications for cassian because we already know that he is very observant and he's very um keen-eyed about everything so this kind of shows that he took his father's words to heart maybe even subconsciously but we also know that that you know that advice or that word of wisdom words of wisdom will continue into Cassian's future because he's going to be a rebel spy and so the man who sees everything is more blessed than cursed and then he's you know Clem's talking about how um the ship parts that he had picked up you know, rusted and grimy, but if you clean them up, they're worth a lot. If you actually yeah. pay attention, you can find them easily. And, you know, but most people overlook them. So I thought that was a really, I, I say this all the time, but it, I feel like there was a lot of meaning behind that scene because what you have to figure out, what does that mean for the, for this episode, for the series? What is it trying to tell us through tell, like showing us that specific flashback? What is, what is this lesson that Clem's teaching Cassian going to mean going forward? And what does it mean for the past? Like, what can we see through Cassian's life where he's chosen to, uh, pick up things or look at things that most people would overlook Mm -hmm. and see the value in them so we have to figure like you know and now it makes me want to like look through the series and kind of analyze Cassian's response to things and the people he chooses to talk to and how he chooses to interact with them um sorry I went long-winded on that but what did no, you feel okay. about that scene I'm actually really glad you brought that quote up because the moment that Clem said it I instantly was like Cassian because in throughout the entire series and we've like we've talked about this on the pod before is that like Cassian is a really observant man and we've said this so many times actually that and it was nice to see it like not be confirmed but just like proven to be a positive thing and Cass because Cassian does see all like I I 
probably from the beginning, like of him coming to Ferrix after being taken from Canari, like the language barrier had him use his other senses with with like body language and seeing it and and then like as he got older and then we like we see it in in the whole prison arc like Cassian is seeing everything like he sees the prisoners speaking in sign language like he is watching Jembok work by the 30 days in he knows exactly how everything goes you know so I think that this quote is both like a it's like calling back his old life and then now like like as you said like as a rebel spy and and I loved that we got one last flashback with Clem because I think it's really important to see that that like Cassian's dad also had a big impact on his life if that makes sense (laughs) yeah it does it does and to see Cassian's reaction to his own memories with his little bit of a smile as he's touching uh, Clem's funerary stone was so sweet to see. And Diego does, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, go ahead. Diego does this thing with like his eyes where like when the character he's playing is emotional, they like widen almost like he's trying to like stop them from crying or it was just a really beautiful and I'm glad I love that every time we have seen Cassian smile it's been with his family yeah and it's it's like a really beautiful thing that he finds so much comfort in them because I think that pre-Andor a lot of people had the theory that Cassian kind of had nobody nobody so knowing that he had this like abundance of family and that family was his like rock throughout mm-hmm. his life it is just like a really comforting and when I'm saying family I, I mean like Jesse and Brasso and Bix and other people B- yeah B2. B2 yeah I I, yeah. I I love that Cassian's like like Cassian's home base has always been his family and family for and home I think for Cassian isn't a place it's people yeah yeah Ooh, that just made me think of welcome home (laughs) i know it's such it makes the line so much more poignant i think yes every every episode enhanced rogue one and cassian's character so much i mean obviously but but like you said it's so the way that the lines from rogue one just now have so much more weight because of everything we've seen and learned in yeah and or uh and and, and he got so many hugs this episode <laughs> first he goes to find bix which wow that was his like first priority was to go to her and she's not there I peg know. was there especially and- with like in episode seven when he goes to marva and then he goes to bix but now that marva's not there his this first priority is- his first stop was clem and then bix, bix. it was so uh, the only home he had left and then Bix. Bix. And the fact that he that he climbed over a wall and then we later hear that Bix dreamt that she he climbed over a wall and then in episode 7 when he says remember what your father yeah they are the epitome of 7 by Taylor Swift 
in this I, essay yeah. I will <laughs> no I love them and I'm so sad for them I I so then when Cassian was like where is she and yeah. Pegla finally told him and I love that Peg like Pegla was like gonna help him like we don't see the cut where we don't see what happened between the end of that scene where he um encounters Pegla at Bix's Salyard and then to the tunnel underneath barracks where they're together mm-hmm. but like i can just imagine pegla being like yeah you're you know cassian's like i need to go get her he's like yeah let's go i'll help you move around the city and so then they go and do that and um you know then we get cassian like i said underneath the city pegla's watching out for him and then i i was wondering in that scene where brasso comes around because then, like, did they call him? Did Brasso know they were there? Did, like, how did they tell Brasso that Cassian was there? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I, it seems like <laughs> they have a town of chismosas. <laughs> but I I think that they were probably just, like, word of mouth. Yeah, he was probably like, Brasso, get your ass over here. Yeah, which he did. and He did. He gave Cassian the second most beautiful hug in star wars and what's the first jen cassian's hug yes yes, that's like cemented into number one it is yeah it is there will never be a better how can you not be but the second one the second one being it was just so familial and loving and they're they're brothers i felt like I could feel the hug through Me the too. screen. I like, needed that hug. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and like you said, yes, they're definitely like brothers. Um, And the I, fact that like, you know, Brasso's like hugging him and Cassian's like grabbing his own wrist behind Brasso to hold him tighter. Yeah. And it's just, you can feel the... And then Brasso's chin <sighs> on Cassian's shoulder. He like smushed his chin. Into, like they were... They were hugging. They, they missed each other they're yeah I I love that I love I feel like we don't get that kind of brotherly familial affection or just just affection between men in general in media often maybe I just haven't seen it I just feel like this was a really healthy representation these shows or movies and everybody's got to be macho and everyone's got to be strong and no one's going to be weak you know but like and it but it's not weak to show emotion it's not weak to show care for another person so to see that was just it just really got to me and you know Cassian immediately being like because up till then we didn't I mean obviously we didn't see Cassian uh confide in anybody else but like we didn't see him talk to Melchie about his of Marva dying we didn't see him uh say anything to Pegla even though Pegla said he was like sorry about Marva like we didn't see him confide in anyone else but then as soon as Brasso is hugging him he's like I should have never left I should have come back I, sh- I told her I'd be back like you know yeah. and he's like saying all these things that he was probably holding stuck in. inside of him and he finally was with the person yeah that he could he felt that he could vent to and Brasso was right there with no stop it like you don't think like that this is Marva knew you were gonna say this and knew you were gonna act like this and here's what she said and the fact that oh and then it just makes me think that the fact that Brasso was with Marva to hear that like yeah. in those final days oh it makes me so like mm, sad but yeah and he perfectly remembered every word to, to Cassian and <sighs> so beautiful I agree 
with what you just said because like I was also thinking about that how Brasso was probably like there like like either moments before or like days before she passed away and and like was able to get this information like these words that she wanted to tell Cassian and like she probably said everything what happened that we saw in episode 7 because Brasso, like you said, he he knew that Cassian came back to get her, and uh, and then that's probably why Brasso like wasn't as I'm sure that he was super sad that Marva died, like and he sees her as a mom. But like, it's probably why it, it, it's you know, like with people at that age, like you know, death is coming. So I think that like his reaction, yeah. But like I. I I posted about this, but the fact that like Brasso knew like word for word, memorized it, and like just so he could relay those last words that his mother had for her son, it's just like I don't know. Like we all need a Brasso in our life. I think we really do. I, it's it was such like a poignant scene and. I'm just so appalled by the amount of, like, family that we're seeing in, in Andor. Like, we see it with Rebels and, and like, the family there. Like, I consider, like, the, the ghost crew a family, but this is, like, I feel like this is much different because they've been with each other, like, their entire lives. Like, I'm, like, Brasso, I don't, I consider him the same age as Joplin, so, like, in his 50s, so I, I, he was probably there for like most of Marva's life and vice versa. And then I'm sure that Brasso met Cassian growing up and yeah, I, I don't know. They like, all yeah. it's just really like, they just know each other and they've been through a lot. You can lot. see that. Yeah. That familial bond or that. And like, this is what they wanted us to see this community, this sense of community, this sense of, yeah, I'll help you no matter what, even though, you know, Cassian had caused some, you know, mischief and kind of <laughs> some headaches for some people, but they still, in the end, like immediately, I'm sorry about your mother. I, you know, let me help you kind of thing. And yeah. so that's why it made like the whole it made Murchie being this is someone that the community, you know, trusted, and now he's ratted them, ratted one of them out, and so they didn't, they didn't expect that. And um, yeah, it's just I love it. I love seeing that it was like a, a strong community, and we see that when the riot happens. But we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say we we don't we don't want to we don't want to overlook them um but uh vel came back and yes, we, met got a we got a bell Cinta reunion which i was hoping for like it was a so like the come away from the window <laughs> okay you can say the bell Cinta reunion thing again so we don't we don't want to overlook Vel and Cinta. Uh, Vel showed up, and I I'm really glad we got. I mean, obviously I'm glad to get any scene with them, but it was good to see Vel confront Cinta in a way. 
again because we saw that she was I don't want to say like that there was that they didn't really fight or anything but we could see that Vel really just wanted to be with Cinta and Cinta was very focused on the mission and what they needed to accomplish yeah. and so we saw that continue into the scene with Cinta you know being so focused on watching the on watching Dedra and watching the movements of all the the Imperials and you know we can see Vel's reaction to all of that you know she looks upset and no, I don't want to say disappointed is not really the word but they're like tired you know until she finally like come away from the window and that's where that scene ends but I I some people have speculated like what that was insinuating or where the scene went with that I hope that they had like a moment of reconciliation maybe like I don't know. I don't want to say, I don't want to speculate too much, but I hope this like went to her and they had a moment together. I hope um, so too. I, that they hadn't been able to have, you know, since this all kind of started since all Donnie. It would be really nice if they had a moment that kind of, we didn't see because especially of what Cinta said in episode eight, when she was like, we take what's left. And I feel like this mm-hmm. little moment was what's left like they finally had a moment alone a place whatever we didn't see i hope happened like i i i think that they probably had a moment and i don't know i i i really am rooting for them but i am kind of worried i know that they're like the least complex relationship in this show but i cinta like is really dedicated to the cause and I think that, like, yeah. Cint- like Cinta did warn Vel, like, at the beginning of their relationship that the cause came first. And I think that Vel, like, I don't think that Vel wants to be in the Rebellion anymore. <laughs> she doesn't like Luthen. Oh. I, I think that she is, she's willing to let this all go. But the thing is, is that Cinta is not willing to let this all go. So I don't know. I don't know where they'll go with their storyline. Yeah. I feel like I am more fearful yeah. for Belle and Cinta than like Bix and Brasso. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> want to be fearful for them. Yeah. But I definitely wonder where they're going to go with this, with the two of them. Me too. I. It worries me. But I trust them. I hope all is well for them. But moving on from that, um, I'm trying to remember the order of the episode. Uh, but from there, Cassian, let me see. We check in with the Imperials a little bit. Um, Dedra is really dead set on there being no snipers. She wants Cassian alive. Um, the funeral starts. The procession starts. We saw some really cool, uh, I mean, the outfits were so, the uniforms were so they were phyrexian colors yeah you know the like beautiful reds and the oranges yeah yeah and the yellows um the instruments are really neat i i've taken a few screenshots just to see like what they look like up close and uh i think the prop department did really well with creating those a uh like a a flutist i think that's what you call somebody Mm -hmm. that plays the flute um actually like took screenshots like that and 
the flutes were three flutes put together. Like That's three so cool. broken flutes. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and weren't they actually playing? They were. They were actually playing in that scene. And, and as that scene is playing out, we see Cassian below the city um, headed towards the hotel. And Diego said that they were actually playing or the music was playing while he was down there. And he said he had a moment where he was very emotional and was trying to remind himself not to not to break down there. Um, I think that's so that's so beautiful. I mean, yeah, I, I love when the actors are truly impacted by the work they're doing. Yeah. And it means it means a lot to them. Well, um, I know. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, I that I feel I, I'm not going to like speak for Diego. I don't want to. But he's been very open about like his mother's death. And I feel like for those who don't know, Diego lost his mother at like a very young age. So I feel like this like that like emotional moment that he might have had like could have been because of that. Like maybe he he like probably wasn't pre- present for his mother's funeral because he was so young or he was and he doesn't remember it. And then they're filming this beautiful funeral scene that like is the spark to a bigger fire that is the rebellion. I, I don't know. And yeah, going away from like real life stuff back to Andor and the characters, but like, isn't the funeral theme like? the Andor theme or like Cassian's theme or something I think I think it's a refrain of it yeah um I think I'm using the music term correctly but I think it's a it is like a refrain of it um play maybe played in a different key or something but yeah yeah I've heard people say that it it is derived or the theme is derived from the music and the, that they're playing during the funeral yeah. scene which oh I could just hear it right now in my head like the the part where it picks up oh that was so good that was so badass the fact that they like had that shit down and were yeah like prepared I I was so excited to see the like that they used Marva's funeral the woman who like wanted to be a rebel as the like this like I said earlier like the spark to the bigger flame like I uh, it was just and so it was, sick. It was so organic too because yeah. I don't think that the funeral procession was started off with the intention of rioting. I don't um, think so either. No. And so to see them be impacted in real time and basically Marva Marva basically just was, yeah, like you said, like the spark that lit that fire because they were all basically tinder you know they're basically ready to to be sparked aflame and that was just the most beautiful scene um the fact that they all were like looking up to her you know that visual yeah that was really good um, yeah it and then you know with the imperials up high they were looking down on them but you know we get we get the rebels with their faces to the sky Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so, and the, and the stone and sky chant that was, was so, so good. cool. Yeah. And then like you, I, and you 
for mentioning this earlier to me, but this coming the song uh yeah i so, i felt what, so much for her what i mentioned earlier of what Lindsay's is talking about is that pre and or we got this like official press doc or whatever and tony had described bix's backstory like just a tiny bit well um bix lost both of her parents so there was like i came up with this theory that uh Bix knew the funeral song because she's had to like bury both of her parents and that both of her parents' stones are there. And she's probably gone to like there's probably been plenty of funerals and ferricks, but yeah. God, when she started humming it, I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, she knows it, even in this state. That's so sad. It was beautiful. And Cassian kind of taking that moment where he was hiding up in the building to kind of like come away from the window and just listen. Yeah. Ugh. His face. That was. And, and then like the little, the, the, the wind was a paid actor. <laughs> <laughs> his little, his hair was flowing so freely. I know. Uh, that was. I'm that sorry, like, we're just like having, we're just like in awe as we're talking, I but know. it was so beautiful. Every part of it was gorgeous, and Marva's speech was, wow, you know, the dead, the, I have it right here, but like the dead lifting us up, or lifting her up. Um. Yeah, that, that was the, the her, like, or she said something about like the dead bringing, like, she said, I always wanted to be lifted up, or I always wanted to be lifted. I was always eager, always waiting to be inspired. I remember every time it happened, every time the dead lifted me with their truth. And now I'm dead, and I yearn to lift you. Wow, I'm getting choked up just reading it. <laughs> but, yeah, she, her speech was so just what they needed. It was just what they all needed to hear. Wilman. Brasso, all of them. Um, I love at the end the part where she said, "I, if I could do it again, I'd wake up early and be fighting those bastards from the start." When she says, "Like from the start," in that scene, oh, the way that like her voice distorts, kind of, or like gets louder, or just the the passion in her voice, like almost the anger, was so like I got chills. And I know a couple people, I, I don't want to break the, the beauty of talking about this moment, but I know some people were saying that she perhaps said something else than fight the Empire at the end there. Do you know if that's true or not? I, I, I wasn't sure. Um, there was like definitely rumors, and I won't like say where they came from, but they're apparently like backed up by what Tony said he was like saying something about how they pushed back with shit or whatever and then they or they were okay with it and then but they pushed back with something else so okay yeah so people are saying that Marva said fuck the empire instead of fight <laughs> the empire and so because Tony said in an interview that they didn't actually they didn't get any pushback for saying shit in the earlier episodes but some people think that perhaps she said fuck the empire instead of fight the empire and disney was like 
no, you can't do that because he did insinuate there was something else that got pushed back in the in the another part of the series. So yeah, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I think it would have been so much. It would have been really cool if she did say it, but I think it would have been really distracting. Maybe too. people would have <laughs> uh, been too too caught up on that. <laughs> yeah, to to really absorb the rest of that speech that had just been said. Um, also, I personally yeah. think that they're saving fuck for Melshi. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad about it. I wouldn't be mad about it either, but I don't know. He just, but honestly, after this, after these scenes with him, I don't think that, <laughs> I feel like he is the type of guy to just not, never curse. Like, he's the friend that just, Cassian and Melchior are the friendship duo where like the one is always cursing and then the other is never curses. I think that that's them. But not to get into Melchior. But he always comes up. He has to. <laughs> he does. But we can talk about Cassian saving Bix, which there's been like a lot of controversy about that scene, but I don't think that there should be any controversy around that scene because I think that if it were Brasso in that hotel he would have or anybody Wilman or Pac he would have gone I, I I don't think if it was just Bix like she's not a she's not a damsel in distress like she's a very strong woman and Cat, yeah. Cassian rescuing her does not like put down her character or make her weak I think that he would have rescued he rescued his family he wasn't going to yeah. leave her behind and, and he didn't there, to me, it didn't seem like he was treating her in any sort of way that implied that he was this, like, I don't want to say that he wasn't a hero, because he was, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't feel like there was a damsel in distress sort of trope. I mean, you could Maybe. say that, you could see it, perhaps, but I don't think that that was anyone's intention. Um, I think because she is very strong and she was strong enough to withstand all that torture all that time like she's someone who is going to I, I truly believe she's going to heal and she's going to recover and it's a testament to her that she lasted that you know she yeah. survived and so Cassian coming to get her out wasn't like wasn't a bad thing or wasn't something to look down upon um, and it actually kind of comes full circle with something that Bix said in their first scene together. Um, she told Cassian that Tim would do anything for her. And yeah. now Cassian was risking everything to get her. So, and she was saying it in a way of like, kind of sarcastic, like as if Cassian wouldn't do those things for her, but like do whatever she needed him to do. Or, you know, it was kind of like a, a little bit of a, a slight, but yeah, but you know, it proved in the end that he would help her. And and I think it was more of a comment on their relationship and less on let's make Cassian the hero. I think yeah. it was more of a comment on on uh, them together and we, giving us a little bit of a, a full circle on them in a way mm-hmm. um, and some closure, I guess. Um, <laughs> we can talk about how Cassian got in there. I mean, he was like, he was like, I don't know, I don't know what the proper, uh, I don't know what a good uh, badass. <laughs> yeah, he was a badass. So I don't, can't give you a comparison, but yeah, he went in there and took out that guy, and then 
the way he took out the death trooper getting out with Bix, he just like drops Bix off. He like sets her down. He's like, okay. And he just like does this crazy maneuver. Well, he's like midair takes out a death trooper. Like, mm-hmm, that's pretty is... sick. Yeah. I was like, man, I need Cassian on my team always. <laughs> I would choose him in dodgeball in high school. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I think that the the rescue scene was so good, especially because Cassian like didn't go towards the riot. Like he just kind of like, I'm just getting here to get Bix in and out. I mean, yeah, I don't know. And then that whole scene, while this is happening, like to start wrapping up the episode, like Brasso is grabbing Wilman because we do see that scene where he just grabs Wilman and he's like, "We're leaving." <laughs> and and then you know Pegla lassos B two and and I you know they're they all kind of go and on top of while that is happening we're getting this wild ass scene with Dedra and Cyril where okay I thought that this was it for Dedra I was like she's dead she's going to die and I know that Denise said that she was making it to season two but she's a dirty liar but she survived (laughs) she survived and cyril saved her of all people and i think that she thought the same thing she was like of all people who saved me in this moment i can't believe that it was you i thought they were gonna kiss i really did i i it's one of those scenes where you could definitely see that happening yeah I and so many other people thought the same thing. I I was baffled um by the whole thing. I still have to like go back and rewatch that whole sequence because and I'm sure it's supposed to make us uncomfortable. It's supposed to make us go like what the heck's going on? Because They're weird people. <laughs> Cyril well like Cyril went to Ferrix to capture Cassian. And as soon as he saw Dedra, he's like, it's her. And then when she's in trouble, he's like, I gotta save her. <laughs> and immediately, we don't see any other care about Cassie. And it's just, he's gotta save Dedra. And I just, I think, he, I'm not, I don't know, man. I don't want to get into any hot water. I'm not like a major serial sympathizer. And I, I think I've made myself clear in previous episodes that I'm just truly interested in his character. And I've, I still need to take some time to think about what this episode means for his character, because I really, I just haven't figured him out yet. I just haven't figured him out yet. I know a lot of people just will write him off as like, oh, he's a baby fascist. Oh, he's a creeper. You know, he's, he's really weird. He's obsessive. He's all these things, but I feel like there's more to him. And I'm not saying this in like a, there's hope for him he's he's like not that bad kind of way but I just feel like there's something more to this guy and because the fact that he like rescued her and she's like I should say thank you he's like no you don't have to and he's like holding himself back from her and she's like got a piece of like machinery that she grabbed that she was gonna like smash into his face (laughs) and and yeah I truly got some it, it looked like I thought I didn't think that he would kiss her. I think she was gonna kiss him. You thought if there so? was gonna be a kiss, 
well, like if there was going to be a kiss, I got more of that vibe from her than him because he was holding himself like back and quiet, yeah. like letting he was her trying process. To be respectful, yeah. In a way. Yeah, like letting her process what happened. And she was like, <gasps> like she had never been in a situation like that before. And suddenly there's this guy and he saved her. And he's like, I'm Cyril. She's like, I know that. You know, like she's like, I know you. And, and I feel like if it had been like, it, I feel like it would have been her because I feel like the first time they, or not the first time, but the second time when he confronted her outside her work, I think it, I think it really stuck in her head and rattled her. But I think she thought about it a lot. But like, yeah. this girl, this girl probably thought about that moment a lot. And this isn't to romanticize whatever weird relationship they have going on. But I just, from the outside looking in, I would have actually expected her to do it, like kiss him if in that moment. Um, because I think he's just too proper to actually go for it. <laughs> I, I, he's also like probably never been with a woman. <laughs> so... I think your face, I wish you could have all seen Lindsay's face. But um yeah. <laughs> Moving on from them. I don't have many thoughts. <laughs> uh you basically don't really have many thoughts either. You basically said all of it. But so Jesse, Brasso, B2, Bix, and uh Wilman got off Ferrix. And we got a goodbye between i think that we talked about this already though where like they just basically like said goodbye and b2 had that moment with cassian and then we all cried and but i want to talk about the ending with luthan and cassian and how luthan th- didn't really have much screen time but he did kind of have a turning point where he was going to kill cassian like he was like set on that and then he sees cassian's mom give that banger of a speech and he's like fuck yeah like this is this guy's mom and i can't kill him like i could use this guy like this is literally exactly the guy that i was looking for and lucent's like i'm not gonna kill him and what makes me think is that bell and cinta still have that order in their head that they have to kill cassian andor but I don't know. I think that that end scene was really good and Diego was acting and he, his face, his like body language and I love what Diego said and I'm going to look for it because I don't want to be wrong. Hold While on. you look for it. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. He said, I love what Diego said when he said, this is no life. Take this thing I have away from me because it means nothing unless you let me fight for freedom. There's no point of living like this, which is the complete opposite of the Cassian we had at the beginning. So now he's kind of finally in that Cassian mindset that we see in Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. I, that end scene was spectacular his face acting a lot he only said a couple lines or like a couple words he said kill me or take me in but his face acting was so impactful because everything you said or the quote that diego just you read he was able to convey all of that in that scene perfectly when i read that quote later on from him i was like 
this is exactly what I felt when I watched it the first time. His words are exactly what I felt. He only needed a couple lines and the rest of it, just his acting. And it was phenomenal. And uh, Selen's, um, you know, alongside him was perfect. They acted so well together, the whole entire series. But just that last minute of them was amazing. And I want to add on to what you said about Luthen um, seeing Marva and hearing Marva. Um, I think it was that along with the riot itself. He experienced mm-hmm. it. We see him knocked down. We see him wide-eyed. We see him looking around like, oh my gosh. Because I wonder if Luthen has been in a situation like this before. He has yeah. been pulling the strings. He's been in the darkness. We remember his speech from the episode um, with him and Lonnie. Um, but has he actually been in it? Has he actually seen it? Has he actually been alongside the people that mm-hmm. are rebelling organically to the empire? Because he's been orchestrating these rebellious acts, but to see it happening in real time yeah and be among them is so was so impactful for him and then you know we see his, uh we get one shot of him sort of trying to leave ferrix or we see him away from the riot up in the streets and looking back down across ferrix and or the town and you can see that he's really thinking about what he's experienced and so i think it was marva i think it was and I think it was the riot itself mm-hmm. because he's like, this is where this guy grew up. Like, this is, you know, where Cassian was forged. This is the person that I had faith in from the start because I don't know if Luthen was putting out a front or not when he's talking to Cassian, but like, we know that he pursued him through Bix. We know that he wanted to talk to him. We know that he was telling Cassie, you know, I stuck out my neck for you. Mm-hmm. Um, he questioned Clea at least once about, you know, is this person, was I wrong about this person? Was I a fool? And then, you know, he's like, okay, well, I guess I have to get rid of him. But when Cassie comes to him and says those, like, you know, kill me or take me in, it's like, Luthen's smile is like, so I wasn't wrong or I was right. You know, this this is yeah. the person I was looking for and to see him come around and be the person that Luthen saw inside. And I think that it was more than just that, because I think that Luthen is so in the darkness that he can't see past it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so to see Cassian be so willing to give everything for the rebellion and come around I just think that Luthen really had an eye-opening experience on Ferrix. I think so too. Um, he I like a wake-up call that he yeah that's been long needed. Yeah, and when Marva, there's a part when Marva says the Empire. I think it says she says the Empire, uh, rise and the okay. Empire there's a darkness reaching darkness. like rust. Is she says, yeah, and then the Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It cuts to Luthen, mm. and shows Luthen. And it made me think of when Luthen's in Luthen's monologue where he was talking about, I forget the exact part, but he was talking about how he's in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And he and so it's like oh, I think he's writing. realizing that he can't that he can't live in the darkness anymore. That he can't that he needs to rise above the empire. 
I think that I think we're gonna see Luthen's methods move away from whatever he's been doing before. And we and also we've heard Luthen call himself a coward. Yeah. And we've heard, seen Saw basically be like, you just scurry around in the shadows, you know. <laughs> so this is a wake up call for Luthen as well. And I think we're gonna see him and Cassian do great things together. <laughs> I'm really excited. I think it'll be an interesting mentorship to see. And I I I don't know. It'll we're joining them again in a year in the show. So like it's a year later in Andor. Two years for us, but I will probably see them like they'll be freaking frack by the time we see them. Or maybe they'll be away from each other. Who knows? But Andor is done for now. Season one is over. And I can't believe that the four-year wait is, like, done. And we have 12 episodes to enjoy while we wait. And now, two years again. But, somebody said this, but two years will be nothing compared to the four years. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to go by quickly. And there's so much good Star Wars content that's coming out in the interim. And we're going to get news about it. And we're going to... You know, and or we'll, we'll be okay. News and or will be very busy, I'm sure. Yes, but yes. uh, we just because Andor is over doesn't mean our pod is over either. We'll be reviewing like the Bad Batch episodes and having guests, and I'm sure we'll be reviewing the Mandalorian. And I'm going to Star Wars Celebration in London in April, so we'll be able to talk about that. And I wish that Lynn's was coming with me, but it's okay. Me too. Uh, I'm <laughs> hoping. I'm hoping for whatever the next one is after that. Yeah. But so it'll but all be good. We've got so much planned, and then the Rogue One anniversary is coming up, and Lindsay's gasping. So I think she had something to say. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was just thinking about how our our boy Cal Kestis is coming back next year too. Yes, Cal is coming uh, back. You froze, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I thought You're I back. lost you. No, it's okay. I thought I lost you too. <laughs> um, okay. We can end this episode with a with a fun with a fun I don't know, we can do something fun. Uh I Okay. Let me think of something before we do it. Oh, I thought you had something. I was like, what is it? <laughs> no, I wish I did. Uh, no, I don't have anything. But we can end this episode with if you could be in one episode of Andor, what episode would it have been? Oh, that's which... good. Okay, cool. No, that's a good one. That's a okay. good one. I would be in, I don't know, episode two? I want to be on Ferrix. Okay? I want to be on Ferrix too. I was, immediately I knew. I was like, Ferrix. I want to be in every and all Ferrix episode, including the <laughs> last one. I want to. I I want to be Marva's brick in episode twelve. So one. So a Brasso can hold me, and two. <laughs> so he can beat Ashes with me. I'd be That's okay a beautiful that. answer. That's right? a beautiful answer. I I'd want to be Wilman's explosive device. 
Why? <laughs> because I would, I would have something good to do. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find me, Sami, on Twitter and Instagram and Hive. I've made I've made the 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 jump. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Andorisms, and just on Twitter as News Andor, and on Hive as Jin Urso. And Linz, where can we find you? You can find me at a Cosmic Love on Twitter and Rebel Risen on Instagram and Hive. And also Tumblr, I think. I yeah. can't believe we're like. In our Tumblr yeah, era, yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm 14 years old it's again. Good. <laughs> yeah, I made I made my first Tumblr in 2012. Yeah, God damn, it's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. People are like, I'm back after four years, and I'm like, you left. <laughs> <laughs> I have been chronically online uh, since I was, I've been chronically online since I was six years old. <laughs> So yeah, terrible. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs>